Hey, well, let's celebrate being at church together today, can we? It's so good to be here. It's good to be back. Uh, if you're new to ACF, you're wondering who the new guy is. My name is Brian. I am one of the pastors here on staff, and I've been on a two-month sabbatical, so I have missed you. I just, I want you to hear that for real. Um, I've missed you guys. Uh, this really is our church family. Uh, we are in Alaska for so many different things, but specifically because of ACF, because we get to be a part of what's happening here, and uh, I'm just, I feel so honored to be part of what's going on at our church, and our family's blessed. Thank you for blessing our family with this time. Um, my, my kids kept trying to sneak back to church during the time away, which uh, I'll tell you what, I don't take for granted as a pastor. A lot of times our families can, uh, can go through a lot, can carry a lot of weight, and uh, our kids just, man, they love ACF, they love you, so thank you for loving our family well. Um, but we are in Luke chapter 7 today. If you want to grab a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 7. Also, before I get too much into the text, today is baptism week, <laughs> baptism Sunday. So excited for that. We have the tank on the stage. Um, this is kind of just something God has, I think, called our church to, which is just to fill up the tank every single month and give you a chance to take your next step with Jesus. And so here's the deal. Listen up. If you've never been baptized, today's your day. If you've never gone public with your faith, today is your day. Uh, I know it's a little scary. We promise we won't embarrass you. Uh, but it is, uh, we believe, your first step of obedience for anybody who says they're a follower of Jesus is to go public with your faith and say, I am not ashamed of the God that is not ashamed of me. And so uh, I want to encourage you to do that. And at any point, you can actually, in, in fact, during the message, walk out to the lobby. If you're watching online, you can show up, get in your car right now and drive here. We'd love to baptize you. Uh, but, but you can just go out there and check in at any point. And then during the worship at the end of the service, uh, we'd love to baptize anybody that's ready to do that today. We have shirts, T-shirts, and everything you can possibly need for that. Uh, we are in a series called It's Not Fair. Fairness is such a, it's, it's, it's a big topic in the world today. It's something that people are in many ways obsessed about. It's creating a fair environment. And, and many people feel like life is not fair and God is not fair. And when, when we look at God and, and, and kind of determine who he is based on our understanding of fairness, sometimes we can understand a skewed version of God. It can, it can kind of mess up our, our, our view of God and who he actually is. So that's why this series, I think, is so important. Pastor Josh last week did a great job of kicking off the series and, and telling us that God is generous. He's not fair. Like, he doesn't give us just what we deserve. In fact, if he gave us what we deserved, we would, we would deserve death, right? We deserve separation from God because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet God gives us what's called grace, right? He's not fair. He's gracious. He's generous to us. And so, although maybe we cry out for fairness, if we look at it honestly, we don't want fairness. We want the grace of Jesus. And today, I want to I kind of continue this conversation. I want you to start off by thinking of a moment in your life where you have felt like an outsider. Maybe it's right now. Maybe you got invited to church today and you feel like you don't really fit in. Uh, maybe like, like you're not like the other people in the room. You're probably a lot more like the people in the room than you realize. Maybe it was just growing up in school and coming into the lunchroom, right? That's the classic place of feeling like an outsider. Where do I sit in the lunchroom? I remember uh, growing up being a military kid, moving from town to town. I would actually rebrand myself everywhere we would move, hoping just to fit in a little bit more. Maybe somebody else did this as well, where you can actually look at my school photos and be like, oh, there he was when they were stationed in Minot. Here they are when they, when they were stationed in, in Maryland. Here they are when they're stationed in Wyoming. And, and like, it's just different versions of me. 
And I would change my appearance and change the way I lived and act and spoke just so that I could fit in. Uh, Many studies show that one of the most basic human needs is the need to belong. The need to belong. In fact, it's one of the deepest human needs is the need to feel like we fit in. And so we printed off some t-shirts. I don't know if you got one, but I'm wearing one today. It says, you don't have to believe to belong. In fact, you can go get one in the lobby after service if you'd like to. Uh, They are free 99. So we're just giving them away. We don't want anything for them. But this is part of who we are as a church family is, is we are a community where you don't have to believe to belong. Uh, Well, what actually is believing? What does it mean to believe? We know it's not a few things. Believing is not professing. You can say you believe in Jesus and not believe in Jesus, right? Uh, Certainly that's the case. Believing is not church attendance, right? You can come to church and it doesn't mean that you believe in Jesus. Believing is not morality. You can live a moral life and be far from God, right? In fact, some of our friends who you might say, man, they want nothing to do with God, might live better lives than we do from a moral standard, right? So these things are not belief. What is belief? A simple definition of belief is to rest your life upon something. To rest your life upon something. The classic example uh, or illustration is the chair that you're sitting in. You're sitting in a chair, and, and when you walked in, you looked at that chair, and you thought, I think it can do the job, right? I think it can do the, I think it can hold me up, but you didn't really know and believe in the chair until you sat down, Right? Right? It's all speculation until you sit down and you rest your weight upon something. That's belief. And the same is true of God, right? James says that even the demons believe in God and they shudder. And so there is a belief that is not a, a salvific belief, and there is a belief that actually does lead to saving, and it's the belief that you have put your life upon Jesus, put your faith in him and said, I'm trusting you with everything I am. Take my life, take my heart, I'm giving you everything I am. That is true belief. And and maybe the fact that some of you haven't stepped into that stage of of, of belief and and actually rested your life upon Christ is why maybe some people haven't been baptized. Baptism is really one of those things where you you rest your life upon Christ and you go, this is uncomfortable, it's kind of scary, I don't know all of what this is going to mean, but I want to just, I want to be obedient and I want to rest my life upon Jesus and I'm going to choose to do uncomfortable things because Uh, Let me just tell you, friends, following Jesus is really uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable. And so getting baptized is just the beginning of the discomfort that you will feel following Jesus. So again, maybe that's your next step here today. That's what it means to believe. But what does it mean to belong? I think to belong means just to, to feel like you're in the right place. Here's what you need to know today. You are in the right place. You are in the right place today. That's what it means to belong. Have you been in a moment where you're like, I, I'm just, this is right. I'm in the right place. The people around me feel like, make me feel like I am in the right place. What we know about the ministry of Jesus is that as he walked from town to town, he rubbed shoulders with all different kinds of people, right? Believers, non-believers, everybody in between. Jesus had this way of relating to all people and making them feel like they belonged. So here's what you need to know today. If you are not a Christian, you're watching online or you're in the room here today, you need to know this, you belong here. We are so glad that you're here. We actually have created this place for you in so many ways. And we disciple, right? We grow. And and I've seen so many of you uh, move in your faith over the years from just like an infant in the faith to warriors for Christ. 
as you've gone to small groups and to classes and you've exercised your faith here at ECF. So there's so much growth to happen for believers, but we exist to reach those who are not here. We exist to reach the lost and those in our community that are, that are living apart from God because we can't stand the idea of anyone else going through this life without Jesus. I can't stand the idea of my neighbors dealing with the difficulty that we all deal with apart from Jesus. And so we are constantly living on mission. It's who we are as a church. Why is this so important, this little phrase? Why is it so important to who we are? I think if you want to write this down, I believe that belonging often precedes believing. Belonging often precedes believing. Uh, and, and this is just true in a lot of different things where it starts off with relationship and then before you know it, this is something that you are bought into or that you believe in. And I want to cover three major things here today when it comes to this idea of you don't have to believe to, to belong. The first is why it matters. The second is why it's so hard to live out. And the third is how we can actually live this out in our daily lives. First, why it matters. What we know about Jesus is when he arrived uh, and began his ministry, he was doing ministry, what um, the Jews would say to the Gentiles in many ways, both Jews and Gentiles. He, he's got these Jewish leaders that he's constantly challenging and speaking to, and, and Jewish people that he's sharing the kingdom of God with. And then, and then Jesus also starts reaching out to those who were not Jewish. And this was a big challenge to the Jewish people because they felt like they belonged, right? They felt like they were the ones that the God, they were God's chosen people. And so as Jesus starts reaching out to the Samaritans and, and those who were the outsiders, right, it really rubbed them the wrong way because they were like, hey, that's not fair, right? Like we are God's chosen people. Like we are the ones that the Messiah should come to, not those other people. And so this is really woven into the Gospels, this idea that Jesus shows up with a different way of doing ministry, a you-don't-have-to-believe-to-belong type of ministry. In Luke chapter 7, verse 31, Jesus is dealing with these religious leaders, and they're clearly frustrating him. And he says this in verse 31, says, To what can I compare the people of this generation? Jesus asked. How can I describe them? So this is not a good start. When Jesus can't come up with a metaphor to describe you, like, I don't know what to do with you. I'm not sure quite how to describe you. This this is a problem, right? This is a brace for impact moment. Jesus is very honest with the religious leaders of the day. He goes on and he says, you know what? They're like children. So again, not a great start. Okay, thanks, Jesus. You're comparing us to children, right? They're like children playing a game in a public square. So Jesus is like, you are like a bunch of children playing this game. And it's not just any game. It's a public game. It's a game that's affecting the spiritual destinies of the people around you. This is a high-stakes game. It says, they complained to their friends. We played wedding songs, and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs, and you didn't weep. So these spiritual leaders, these religious leaders, are like children playing games in the public square. And the game is like, hey... You're supposed to play and live by the music that we play, right? Like, we're going we're to play a certain type of, of music, and you're supposed to kind of dance to our music. In other words, these religious leaders are manipulating people. They're manipulating those around them. And Jesus is calling this out of them, right? Now, this might kind of seem like a weird illustration, but in their day, uh, when there would be a wedding, people would go through the streets, and they would play music, and people would hear the music, and they would dance to the music. 
When there would be a funeral, people would go through the streets and there would be a different kind of music, right? A sad type of music. And people would be grieving. And then children would see this and they would do what children do is they would play games, right? They'd be like, hey, let's play wedding, right? I play the music, you dance to the music. Let's play funeral. I play the music, you guys walk around mourning and grieving. And he's basically saying, you religious leaders are manipulating people for your own enjoyment. You're manipulating people for your own pleasure. You're not actually loving people. And in that, the game that they're playing, it's a rigged game. Nobody can win. In the end, they criticize people. He's like, they complain to their friends. In other words, like, they're constantly looking for things to criticize about the people around them. In other words, Jesus is like, you don't love people. You don't actually care for people. You're just manipulating them and criticizing them for your own enjoyment. I, I believe this is so important. And this idea that you don't have to believe to belong is so important because the kingdom of God is not a game. It's not a game. Uh, th- there's a phrase that uh, we use occasionally around uh, church circles, and it's this. We don't want to play church. We don't want to play church. Because I don't know if you know this, but it's really easy to play church. And uh, if you're new to Christianity or haven't heard that phrase before, to play church simply means to show up here with all of your own expectations, right? To fulfill all of your own desires and to leave here completely unchanged by the gospel. That's playing church, right? In other words, one of the statements that we throw out at ACF is that uh, we are not consumers, we are contributors. In other words, to play church is to show up and, and go, hey, what can you do to me, do for me? What can the church do for me? What can the pastors do for me? What can everyone else do for me? Not, what can I do for the church? Or how can I serve Jesus in a deeper way today? How can I give of my heart in a new way today? That is what it means to play church, and that's literally what these religious leaders were doing. The kingdom of God is not a game. It's such a big deal. It's such a huge deal that we not only experience the kingdom of God, which, if you're wondering about, like, the kingdom of God, this is the main message that Jesus showed up to preach, is that, that there is a new king in town. And that Jesus shows up to, to, to eclipse all of the other kings and religious leaders that have come before and say, hey, I am here to reign and rule for all of eternity. And that there is a new king. And that is the good news. That is the gospel. Is that Jesus is Lord. And that you are not, right? That's really, really good news. So Jesus shows up to preach the kingdom of God, and it is not a game. And so it's our call as believers to go and share that good news with others. And it's such a high-stakes game. A friend of mine this week, um, he was telling me about how he lost a friend recently. And, and as is so common, he's grieving and working through this. And one of the things that he said uh, that struck me, that, that most of us say when we lose a friend, if we're Christians, is he said, I wish I just would have talked to him more about Jesus. I just wish I would have brought it back to my faith a few more times. I just wish I would have just gone a little bit deeper in the conversation because we all can skip across the surface with our friendships. The kingdom of God is not a game, and this community is not a place to play church. So here's the deal. If, if you're looking for a place to just be comfortable and read your Bible and go away unchanged and not on mission for the good news of Jesus, you are at the wrong church, friends. Like, we exist to go and, and to, to reach and to love and to serve. I mean, this is why we exist as a church family. You don't have to believe to belong. Jesus was a friend to the sinners. He was a friend to them. He loved them. He cared for them. He spent time with them. Why is this so important? Uh, Tim Keller says this, that God sees us as we are, 
loves us as we are, and accepts us where, as, where we are. But by God's grace, he doesn't leave us where we are. And that's what we believe about ourselves and about others. And so the kingdom of God is not a game. And this is so important that we create an environment where you don't have to believe to belong, that people would show up here and feel loved and welcomed unconditionally. Guys, we live in a world full of conditional belonging. And that's what you learn at a very young age. It's why we change all the things that we change about ourselves so often because we just want to belong. We just want to fit in. The church is a different type of place, a place where belonging is unconditional, where you show up from different backgrounds. You might not look the right way based on your standard or someone else's standard, but we believe that doesn't matter, that you don't have to believe to belong. So that's why it matters so much. The next thing is this. Why is this so hard to live out? Why is this so difficult to embrace? The, the passage continues in John seven thirty three. It says, For John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating bread or drinking wine, and you say, he's possessed by a demon. The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. So if you don't know who John the Baptist was, he uh, is known as the forerunner to Christ. He came before Jesus to uh, prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. And John was a weird dude, like a really weird dude. And you can study John a little bit, but he was just kind of a strange guy. Um, and so Jesus, one of the things we know that he spoke about John the Baptist is he's basically like, there's no, there's no greater man who's ever lived than John the Baptist. Like, this is a good man. He's a good man. And so this is John the Baptist. Jesus talks about him. He, he shows up, and the religious leaders, what we know is they rejected John the Baptist. They didn't want to be part, take part in John's baptism, they didn't believe what he had to say. And they say when John shows up, right, he's, he, he uh, didn't spend his time eating bread or drinking wine. So John is gluten-free, uh, you know. So he's just, he's not eating any bread, and he's choosing not to have any alcohol, right? And they're like, oh, clearly he's possessed by some kind of demon, right? Like, because he's living the gluten-free life, right? So they found a way to criticize John. Then, then Jesus shows up, and Jesus is kind of like the opposite, right? Jesus loves, loves carbs, and uh, he's a home brewer, right? He makes his own wine. And so, like, they're like, okay, we're going to criticize Jesus too, right? Clearly, he is a drunkard, right? Clearly, he's, he's drunk. He's drinking too much. And not only that, he's a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. So these religious leaders will find a way to criticize. They will find a way to push people out because they're so busy protecting their own environment, trying to feel like they are the only ones that deserve saving. And this can be true of the church, is we can find ourselves trying to create standards that no one can live up to just to keep people on the outside. And that is not who we are as a church family. We really believe this. You don't have to believe to belong. Criticism is something that will show up in your life if you begin to live this way. If you begin to embrace the outsider, the other, the person that doesn't fit the Christian circle or, or what you expect of a Christian person, and they're, just, they, they're different, if you embrace that person, you will get criticized. You will be guilty by proximity. I, I promise you that. And so the thing is, this is what's going on. As John the Baptist is fulfilling his calling, and as Jesus is fulfilling his calling, what's happening from the religious is criticism. So I promise you this, if you're going to fulfill your calling as a believer, you will experience criticism. You're gonna, we, we've experienced, as a, as a church over the years, criticism. 
when our church was very small, I was actually the worship leader um, here at ACF. I, I always tell people I got demoted to lead pastor. I love leading worship. It was, a, it, was a, it was a great thing. I love what I get to do, but um, love to be part of the band and to lead the music. And, and the church was very small at that point, but we were starting to grow. It started to make an impact on our community. And about then, these rumors started floating around in the community at other churches. And one of the strangest rumors was uh, floating around that we heard was that the senior pastor had slept with another staff member. And we were shocked to hear this because I was the only other staff member. <laughs> Some of you are going to get that later. It was just, this is, these are things that, that are going to happen. We're like, this, this cannot be. Like, why, why, this is, we're, so we really kind of got to laugh about it, but at the same time, that's a, it's a terrible thing to be floating around. But criticism happens, right? Rumors start happening. It's just going to happen. I want you to expect it. Don't be surprised. When those things happen, when you're choosing to be faithful to your call as a follower of Jesus, don't be surprised by those things. Now, criticism can be a good thing, right? Right? I've learned that there's truth to every criticism, not that one, but like most criticisms, there's, there's some kind of truth, something that you can learn from. And so be teachable, right? Because everybody has the, has the ability to, to mess it up. We have the ability to get it wrong. And I'm sure we've gotten it wrong in many different ways over the years. So we want to be correctable, right? We want to be teachable. We want to find the truth, right? Uh, as my dad used to say, eat the meat, spit out the bones, right? And some criticism is a little more meat, a little less bones. Some criticism is, you know, a little more bones, a little less meat. But eat the meat, spit out the bones, grow from it, but move on and expect it. Because even Jesus was criticized. Even Jesus was misunderstood. We know that to be the case. Why is this hard to live out? You don't have to believe to belong. Because I, I think this is huge, is that we are all prone to build walls out of our accomplishments. You, do you know that, that if you are any better today than you were the day that you started following Jesus, that that is nothing but a gift? You know, the Bible says that even the faith that you have to believe in Jesus is a gift from God. You don't even provide your own faith. God gives you the faith. To, to walk into a relationship with him. He gives it to you. And if you've been transformed, we believe that's the, the, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in your heart, that that is, that is him, that's not you. And so we get to be uh, just full of grace, recipients of everything, right? We didn't cause any of the good things that have happened in our lives or through our lives, but we are prone to build walls out of our accomplishments. In other words, we use our sanctification to validate our isolation for the sake of our elevation. Come on, that'll preach, right? Like we use the transformation that God has done in our lives as a reason to separate from people instead of a reason to run to them and say, look what Jesus can do, right? If you've been changed, you should be running to people saying, man, I've, I've experienced this gift of Jesus and I want to share him with you. I want you to experience what I've gotten to experience. But the thing is, most, most of our friends and neighbors, you know, they're not necessarily ready to just jump right in. It's very uncommon that somebody out of the blue is just going to knock on your door one day and be like, hey, can I just get on my knees and follow Jesus? There's going to be a lot of steps before that. I think what so many Christians don't realize is that di discipleship often comes before devotion. Discipleship often comes before devotion. This word discipleship in the church has become synonymous with believer, and it's not the same. It's not the same. Do you know that there are disciples who are not believers, and, hear me on this, there are believers who are not disciples. 
If you don't know what a disciple is, the, the word disciple simply means to be like an apprentice, right? Like, like if you want to be an apprentice welder to work on the pipeline in Alaska, you're going to go be with other welders. Watch what they do and do what they do. That's what it means to be an apprentice or a disciple. And we can even look at, like, say, the 12 disciples. Do you think that they all believed in who Jesus was before he was crucified and resurrected? Answer, definitely not, right? At least Judas, right? Thomas. I mean, really all of them had their doubts, had their questions. And then beyond that, we know that there were other disciples, people that were following Jesus, learning from him, kind of walking with him. Really, hundreds and hundreds of people, they showed up for the free food, right? But then as soon as Jesus started, like, preaching these strange things, like, in fact, in one example, Jesus starts talking about, like, eating my flesh and drinking my blood, which is really gross. And they didn't get the metaphor, and they were like, okay, we're out. <laughs> it just got weird, and they just ran out of carbs and bread. So I'm like, I'm piecing out. Wine's gone. We're leaving, right? So they were disciples of Jesus, but they weren't yet believers, and just like that, some of you in the room here today, like you're a believer, you at some point gave your heart to Jesus, at some point raised your hand or filled out a card or prayed a prayer, but if you're honest today, you are not a disciple of Jesus. Like you're going to spend eternity with him, your salvation is secure, but you are not following him faithfully. You're not learning from him, you're not spending time with others who are farther along in the journey than you. And so we need to understand this idea that discipleship often comes before devotion, like Here's an example. My wife, she dated me a long time before she chose to marry me. And that's a good thing, right? And like, it's a good thing because she's like, I want to know what I'm getting myself into, right? And for a lot of people, showing up to this building is a little bit like the dating process. They're kind of dipping their toes in the water of Christianity. And they're like, what's this place all about? What are these people all about? What's this God all about? I'm not yet, yet ready to commit my life to this, but I, I want to know more. And this is such an important part of the process, and I think it's tragic that in so many churches, it's the exact opposite. You see, we could have printed off different shirts, right? This would have been a lot, this is a lot easier to live. Here, I'm just going to try this. Get a little tape here. I don't know if you can see this. This is, a, this is an easier church, shirt to live, right? It just says, you have to believe to belong. Now, now, now some of you are like, that's the church that I grew up in. Some of you are like, that's the church that I left. Because that's the environment that is created, is a conditional belonging, right? Once you believe with what we believe, then you can belong. But instead, we want to create, we want to rip, rip off the tape, right? We want to be a church where you don't have to believe to belong because we know discipleship often comes before devotion, Another reason this is so difficult, this idea of you don't have to believe to belong, is that when we cherry-pick the Word of God, we will miss the heart of God. A lot of people, I think, may, might hear that statement or see the way Jesus lived, a friend to sinners and tax collectors. You see, that's what they cr criticized him uh, about, but he was, he was actually those things. We know Jesus didn't just swoop in from a distance and do ministry to the, the wounded and the hurting and the, the outsiders. He actually lived life with them. He ate with them which was offensive to all of the other rabbis because they're like, no, 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 you're, you're supposed to be a holy man. Don't you know who you're eating with? In fact, later on in Luke 7, this woman, she's, she's touching him and reaching out to him, and they're like, oh, Jesus, don't you know how dirty this woman is? See, Jesus didn't just swoop in from a distance, right? He actually built relationships with people that did not believe. But if you don't read the whole Bible, 
and understand all of it, you can cherry pick the word of God so that you can feel an excuse to isolate. And this is so common. In fact, um, in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul is dealing with this issue specifically because he has challenged this young church and these new believers to be careful who their friends are, which I would, I would definitely support, right? Be careful who your friends are. But they have misunderstood his call to be careful. And he says this in verse 9, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. So Paul's like, I sent this letter. I talked about, hey, be careful not to associate with sexually immoral people. And he's like, but I think you misunderstood me. I need to clarify what I said to you. Verse 10, not all, at all, meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of this world, Paul says. Like, like you misunderstood me. You're running away from the people that Jesus ran toward. You're making outsiders of people that Jesus made insiders. Like, you misunderstand me. Like, if I, were, if, if I was actually saying, keep away from people who are greedy or swindlers or idolaters of this world, you'd have to, you know, go with SpaceX to another planet, right? Like, you'd have to leave the planet because this is where you live. He says, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So listen, this is so important that you get this. Paul's saying, I'm not so worried about you hanging out with the heathens. I'm worried about you hanging out with the Christians. Not all the Christians, but the Christians who show up and they're like, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus and this is my testimony. Then they leave here and they sleep with their girlfriend or boyfriend after church. This is my testimony. Then they leave here and they speak and they use words that demean people and don't look like love towards the world around them. They sing, this is my testimony, and they leave here and live greedy lives, ripping people off, lying, stealing, all of those things. Paul's like, hey, watch out for the people who claim Christ and live that way. Be careful. So again, it's okay to be careful who your friends are and to be aware of like which way the transformation's flowing, Right? Are you becoming like them? Are they becoming like you? But Paul's saying, hey, but I'm not telling you to run from the hurting that Jesus ran toward. I'm not telling you to stay away from those who Jesus got near to. I'm telling you to, to, to love those people. And this is also important. We have to know what the church is. Remember this. What you're experiencing right now, this isn't church. You are the church, friends. The Greek word is ekklesia, and, and we are simply the body of Christ. That's what we are as the church. And so when he talks about inside the church, outside the church, he's not talking about a building, he's talking about a people, okay? So this is so important that we get this idea of, of what this actually means. And now, now, there is a distinction here, because I know the idea of you don't have to believe to belong can be hard for some people, because we live in a world of universalism, where all roads lead to heaven. Just choose any kind of faith, and it all leads to heaven. I want to promise you that's not true. Jesus was very clear, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to salvation. I want to be very clear about that. But understand this, we're not saying you don't have to believe to be saved because you do. We're not saying you don't have to believe to be a Christian because you do. We're not saying you don't have to believe to lead a ministry at ACF because you do. But we are saying that you don't have to believe to belong. Listen, belonging is not believing, but you don't have to believe to belong at ECF. 
Belonging is not the same as believing. Once you choose to believe, the Bible says you actually enter a new family. So you can belong in this, this gathering, but you don't actually become part of the family of God until you put your faith in God. Until your belief is real, until you sit down in the chair and say, I'm resting my whole life on who Jesus is. That's the moment that you become a Christian. This statement, I think, is so helpful because I think it just speaks to people. It's harder for people who are in the church than those who are outside of the church. There's a good friend of mine who's been on a really incredible faith journey. He spent his whole life, grew up as a child um, in the Mormon church. And, uh, and just was deeply in that church. And he started having some questions about what he believed and digging around on the internet and reading some books. And he started having this tension in his heart about the Mormon faith. And so he started showing up to ACF, kind of sneaking in the back, and then he'd kind of leave early. But he was telling me about this and how it all began. He walked in one Sunday, he sat down in the back, kind of hiding his face a little bit, like, I don't know if I want people to see me here. And, you know, it, it's a big deal. And, and I can't remember who got up front, I think it was Pastor Josh, but the first thing he said was, hey, you don't have to believe to belong. And he told me the story later. He said, that was the moment that I knew that I could be here. That was the moment that I, that I knew that I could begin my journey away from Mormonism. And so, and this is good news, this summer he got baptized, which is amazing. It's such a huge, huge deal. Huge deal. But it's because we are a community and you are a community where people from all different backgrounds can come here and ask questions. Because listen, if you had to believe to belong, I would be disqualified sometimes. And so would you. Because do you ever have doubts? Are you sometimes in a place of non-belief or unbelief? Yes. Yes. Doesn't mean I lost my salvation, but there are times where I don't believe. And honestly, this was so heartbreaking is when you're going through those times is when you need to be nearest to the people of God. The last thing you need to do when you have doubts and questions about God or your faith is isolate from the family of God. This is where you need to be. So last thing I want to talk about is how can we live this? What does it look like to live this lifestyle if you don't have to believe to belong? The passage closes out by saying this in verse 35, but wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. So maybe the question is, is this wise? Is it good to live this way? Should we be a community that embraces those who don't believe what we believe? The question is, what's the fruit look like, right? The best way to figure out if something is wise is to see what is it producing, right? Any kind of behavior, if somebody gives you advice, just look at them live that same advice and ask yourself, what is that advice producing? What is that lifestyle producing? What did the life of Christ produce? And what is ACF producing, right? Like, like is God working through this? And the answer is, yes, he is. The Bible's very clear. It says, like, it, it, if you are to boast in anything, boast in Christ. And so we boast in Christ all the time about people getting baptized at ACF. Hundreds of people getting saved at ACF. We're seeing more people engaged in ACF groups and serving at ACF than ever in the history of our church. And so I'm telling you what, friends, there is fruit that I see, as we are a community that embraces those who don't believe so that one day they might. And our agenda is clear. If you're here today or watching online, we are so very clear. We hope that your belonging leads to believing. We hope that at some point you are in such close proximity to the transformational work of Christ in people's lives that you can't help yourself but to step into a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're here today, and if you're honest, you believe, but 
you are not a disciple. Like you would say, okay, I'm going to spend eternity with God, but you have not been following faithfully. And maybe that's a challenge for you today. And maybe discipleship for you today, being like Jesus for you today, is reaching out to those that Jesus would reach out to. During my time away past couple of months, one of the priorities in my life was I wanted to spend uh, specific time with each individual child. I have three kids. And uh, as a dad, here's something I've been convicted of, is that I can tend to watch my kids do things from a distance and, and just kind of watch them do what they love but not participate in what they love. And so I, I just made this commitment during this time. I want to participate in the things my kids love. And so each separate child, I spent specific time with them. And here's what I found out. This is so cool. Is that when you participate in the things your kids love, you actually feel nearer to their hearts. It develops your relationship with them. I actually feel closer to my kids than I ever have because I've participated in the things that they love. And I think the same is true when it comes to the church. Is it's one thing to sit at a distance. It's one thing to watch God work through the lives of others or work in the lives of the people around you. It's another thing to participate in what has God's heart. And do you know what has God's heart? The lost, the hurting, the dying in this world that have not yet heard or received the good news. So if you want to feel near to Jesus, participate in the things that have God's heart. I mean, it should clue us in, right, that the people in our church who serve the most, give the most, uh, just pour out themselves the most are those often who feel closest to God. If your faith feels dead, if it feels like it's just, man, kind of barely hanging on, are you participating in the things that have God's heart? Are you loving the people that God loves? And when you do, I believe that your faith will start to come alive. The last thing I'm going to leave you with today is a chance to get baptized. You have some action steps you can fill out in your action card, and you can drop those in the basket as you leave after church. But I really want to encourage you today, if you've never been baptized, that uh, I'd love to baptize you in the next few moments. So if God's calling you to do that, I encourage you to take that next step and go out to the lobby and check in. We'd love to help you do that today. Would you stand? I want to pray for us. And then we're going to worship together. Father, we confess together that it's so easy to live a life of isolation. And maybe we have friends around us and people around us all the time, but if we're honest, we haven't isolated from people. We've just isolated from those who don't believe. So God, I confess that for myself and for us as a church family, God, that, that, that sometimes that's the easiest thing to do is just to get around people who believe what we believe. God, I know there are those in this room and watching online today as well who maybe don't believe in you, who have isolated away from believers, who simply have surrounded themselves with non-believers. God, I pray we'd be willing to look each other in the eye. God, that we'd, we'd realize there are things that we can learn from one another, that we can grow together. God, I want to pray for the person in the room today that has not yet put their belief in you, that has believed in you but not believed on you rested their life on you. That today could be the day that they move from darkness to light. Today could be the day that they commit their lives to you. And if that's you in the room, just pray this with me. Jesus, I give my heart to you. I have questions. I have doubts. I don't have all the answers, but I know that you are the answer. So today I leave what was behind me to take hold of what's ahead of me in a life in Christ. Father, thank you for the church. Thank you 
for loving us unconditionally. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, love you guys.